Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. I grew up in a family where work was just normal. You'd wake up and you'd work. And I think some people listen to that and go, oh, like that's so sad or whatever. But, But it really isn't. It is just a quite a cultural thing as I understand it. And it really gave me the backbone that I have today because everything I do is it is very natural. It doesn't feel like hard work. It is just wake up, look at my phone, answer emails, post something on Instagram, keep going. And everyone's like, you don't have work-life balance. And I'm like, oh, I really love my life though and enjoy everything that I'm doing in it. Hello and welcome to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with the powerhouse that is Elise Tran. For the unacquainted, Elise is an entrepreneur to be reckoned with. She's the brains behind The Daily Edited, an accessories label that made personalised monogrammed clutches, phone cases and luggage the must-have pieces of the moment. In this chat, we talk about the glamour of running your own empire, but also the grit and the ugly parts too, particularly when it comes to the delicate tightrope act of juggling a burgeoning career and a social life. Elise was candid and honest and in some parts even a bit teary and we are so grateful that she gave us her time to come on the show. Here's Elise. Elise Tran, welcome to Shameless In Conversation. We are so excited to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I do listen to your podcast. I'm so excited to listen to the uninspired, unemployed guys. (laughs) I was wondering if it was, I haven't read the blurb, is it like a spoof interview where they remain in character or is it actually the business of being unemployed? Yeah, it's about the business of being the inspired unemployed, which is so interesting. Yeah, so good. But you also never know when you do interviews like that Mm. if it's going to be a bit jokey like Michelle and I aren't comedians by any stretch so it's like how do you do an interview with comedians if they are in spoof but no it's all business which is what it's going to be like for you today we're so excited to talk to you about (laughs) I have no comedic exterior if I like it was like I like, don't bring us the comedy, just bring us the comedy. <laughs> Elise, I think the first place I wanted to start with you today is a question about your parents. I mean, you were born in Adelaide to Vietnamese immigrant parents. And I read a quote that you gave business chicks a little while ago where you said they got onto a boat that was rickety and went to Hong Kong and arrived at a refugee camp and here they are. What kind of impact have your parents had on you growing up? Okay, so that is totally true. And it's a, you know, it's a nice summation of what they went through. But obviously, growing up with parents like that, who came to Australia to make a life for themselves and their family, you know, I grew up in a family where work was just normal, you'd wake up and you'd work, whether that's, that was housework, or making lunches or going to school, whatever, everything was just 
very work oriented. And I think some people listen to that and go, oh, like that's so sad or whatever. But but it really isn't. It is just a quite a cultural thing as I understand it. And it really gave me the backbone that I have today because everything I do is it is very natural. It doesn't feel like hard work. It is just wake up, look at my phone, answer emails, post something on Instagram, keep going. And everyone's like, you don't have work-life balance. And I'm like, oh, I really love my life though and enjoy everything that I'm doing in it. What were you like as a kid? Did you always have this really awesome work ethic? I always tried really hard. I always wanted to make the most of every situation, whether it was like trying hard to be good at sports, even though I'm like athletically challenged um, and do not have the build for long jump. I, I just gay I just was so determined to be a success at everything that I tried. So yeah, whether that was schoolwork, making friends, <laughs> trying to do sports, crafts, whatever it was. What was life like in Adelaide growing up? Like what was your childhood like? When you when I look back on it, it was quite an idyllic childhood, but at the time I felt so embarrassed by it, right? So my parents were strawberry farmers. And you know, that that sounds really gorgeous to us now because we're like lovely. Like you grew up on a farm and you know, a nice little house and your parents worked on the farm so they were always around. But I was incredibly embarrassed by that at the time because everyone else's parents were professionals or had like a, a, you know, a job that you would read about in like a book, like a doctor or a lawyer or whatever it is. And, you know, they never had pharma. And so I felt really ashamed by that. But obviously now I'm very proud of, you know, my family and where we've come from. So I grew up on a farm in the Adelaide Hills. And then when I got a bit old and I've got a younger sister and my parents were like, they can't go to the local public school. Like this is not going to work anymore. And obviously education was a big part of my life and, you know, what my parents wanted to give me. We then moved it, you know, closer to the city um, and I went to, you know, a private girls' school in the suburb that we kind of lived in. But, you know, it was lovely growing up in Adelaide. I made great friends at school. I met girls that motivated me because they were so, you know, I fell into the nerd group, obviously, look at me. And, you know, I found all my friends to be really challenging, engaging people, which caused me to work harder and want to succeed and continue to push me to be the best version of me that I can be. Mm. Something we find so interesting about you, I mean, we've read just about every interview and listened to every interview you've ever done. And it really does seem like you are a big dreamer and you have always been a big dreamer since you were really little. You've always known that there is bigger stuff out there for you. Why do you think that is? Yeah, I don't know. I was actually discussing this with my friend in Adelaide like a couple of weeks ago when I went back to interview some casuals for our store there. And I said, why, how did we turn out like this? I don't really know. I just think it's a personality thing. How did I know that there was a world outside of Adelaide and then the legal industry or whatever. I just think I am curious and willing to give things a go and have like this blind belief that everything's going to be okay. Do you think that comes from your parents? Do you think that's a family thing or do you think that is innate to you? Maybe a bit of both potentially. Like, you, you know, I look at my parents and 
they obviously, I, I mean, I haven't actually spoken to them. I mean, this is a great question to ask my mum when I go back to Adelaide at Christmas, right? Did you know it was always going to work out or were you scared? Maybe I should do a podcast with her. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sure they were fearful, but they didn't ever want to express that to me. What about your sister Caroline? I mean, you gave Mecca in a very small interview you did once this beautiful line about your sister. You said, the thing that makes me happiest is my sister Caroline. I just love her. She's very chic and cool and provides me with very good advice from style to life. She is really what motivates me. As kids, were you as close as what you are now? Zara and I both have sisters as well. And I think the bonds with our sisters are really seminal to our lives. Mm. Yes. Um, and a lot of people have siblings and they have sibling rivalry which I think and you know obviously you grow out of that but I think that kind of can leave scarring almost to some sibling relationships that I've seen but because I'm so much older than Caroline like seven years older and it was because my my mum had a shocking labor with me and she was too scared to have another child so but then she felt bad about me not having anyone to hang out with so she was like oh, I'll go again you know, <laughs> reluctantly. So as a result, Caroline is this gift from my mom. And with such a big age gap, there was never that rivalry. Like by the time she got to high school, I was already at uni, right? So a lot of people describe it as me having raised her because my parents obviously worked really hard. And so then I, she did everything that I did. So in Adelaide, you know, on Friday nights after school, when you're in high school, you would go into town, like go to like Pitt Street Mall with all the girls and you'd maybe buy something from Kukai, <laughs> whatever it is. Caroline had to come with me. Otherwise I wouldn't be able to go because, you know, my parents are still at work. And so she was kind of always living the life that I was, which is why she is quite mature, chic, has a lot of wisdom and stuff like that because she grew up with older kids the whole time. And she's like that now. She's friends with a lot of older people and people don't realise she's only 28. In another interview we read that you did with Primer, I found this quote very interesting when you were talking about how you had this like adolescent yearning to fit in. And you said, when I was younger, I felt so ashamed to be Asian. I wanted to be white so much. I just wanted to be blonde. I was so embarrassed to be different to everyone else that I anglicised myself so much. What did you mean by that? Well, this, is, I mean, this sort of touches on your previous question. I think... I wish with high, like with hindsight, you're like, my life was great as a child. But at the time, I was so different. So growing up in the Adelaide Hills, we were the only Asian family. So being Asian was not desirable for me because I wanted to make friends. I wanted to, you know, fit in. I, you know, this is me trying really hard to like be the cool kid and stuff. So that's why I wanted to be and appear to be more Australian just to fit in. What role did fashion play? Was that also a big part for you then? I mean, you're talking about anglicising yourself. Did fashion play a huge role in your life when you were a teenager? Definitely in terms of wanting to have the right things to fit in. And so this desire for consumer goods, which is really, you know, what I kind of understand of customers and helps me in my current role, you know, I, I guess came from a young age. Like I know what it's like to want things and save for them and budget for them and things. So, so the, the products that, you know, we make at The Daily Edited are kind of represent in some ways that view I have on consumers. But yes, fa fashion overall, right, as a general statement, gives people a sense of identity in some senses, a sense of status, even, you know, with branded products. And I'm sure, you know, you've interviewed people who are in that space. But yes, for me, it, 
helped me build my identity. And I also was very naturally interested in it. It wasn't like I faked an interest in fashion, but it, it, you know, that interest then enabled me to create, I mean, this is quite getting, getting very psychological, isn't it? Create like my interests and therefore my personality, shape my personality. Is it true you wanted to be editor of Vogue one day when you were younger? Yeah. I So I was very good at English at school and, you know, thought that would be a really glam career, but kind of didn't really know how that would happen. So yes, I, I, I did, you know, I would, that's a job that I would still want. No, I love Edwina McCann, but you know, <laughs> maybe like a digital editor or something. Yeah. I, I think it's a very, even now with how much the publishing industry has changed, I still love magazines and, you know, my sister worked in the space. I love long format content and content that takes a bit longer to create and consider that type of role is still something that I would really like. (laughs) So then what makes you go into law? You ended up becoming a really successful commercial lawyer. Why did you kind of give up the dream of Vogue? First of all, I didn't know anyone who had kind of done that before and I didn't know how to get there. And I think I then became focused on building, so being good at the humanities and stuff at school, you can imagine then you do year 12 and then you're like, okay, well, Again, you know, you're in Adelaide, so career options, not unlimited, but I didn't, I only knew what I saw, what other people's parents did, you know? So I was like, okay, we'll do law. And I actually wanted to do law media, thinking that I could maybe go down that path. But my dad was like, no, you have to do law commerce, which worked out because, you know, it's great to understand the accounting standards and taxation and various other things. But because of, that and then getting into the law and having friends who were very competitive and driven to succeed in this industry. Yeah, I became very obsessed with being a top corporate lawyer. So I'm so easily influenced, aren't I? It's shocking. (laughs) You sell me anything. (laughs) When you were in the law, though, and kind of working these big days and finding yourself in this industry and doing well at it, did you think, I'm happy to do this forever? Or were you sitting at your desk some days thinking, nah, there's something bigger and more suited to me out there and I'll just bide my time here? I'm not sure if I did well at it. Like I know with my academic sort of credentials and things, I got myself into a a law firm where people would say a successful young graduate would end up, but I was very bad at the work. I found it very difficult. Like it was intellectually difficult, very detailed work that I was... I would have been in the bottom quartile of graduates in terms of the calibre because, you know, the calibre of people who end up at these places is super high. So I'm pretty realistic, as you guys can tell, and I I hadn't really formulated a plan yet on what I would do. I guess, you know, I was like, let me, I'll learn as much as I can, build a foundation and then work out what the next steps are. It's almost like, you know, you're in the degree, just finish it. Like, you know, the three or four years, it's like you got to the firm, just stick it out and then that sort of gets you, you know, a base to sort of then consider other options. Yeah. I mean, it's so funny looking back because it was your career as a lawyer, how you met your now co-founder of the Daily Edited, Tanya. Yes. We want to know what drew you to her because it's super important if you're going to be working with someone every single day and you're going to share a bank account, make all these huge decisions together that you really work and there's chemistry and there's a really solid foundation. What drew you to Tanya? What made you think, you know what, we can really work together? So first of all, we both didn't get into this thinking that it would become what it is today. So 
I don't think either of us were looking at each other going, oh, can I, you know, trust you to do all of this stuff? Like we know what the stuff was, okay? But I was very attracted to Tanya when I met her because she was very chic. She wore these cool clothes to work and I was like, who is this girl? (laughs) I need to know her. So we ended up doing some work and stuff together and talking about fashion, about designers, about, you know, all the things I love to chat about. So that was the initial chemistry. So you launch a fashion blog together called The Daily Edited. What Mm. was it about a fashion blog that you thought together, you know what, let's try this? Well, Tanya wanted to launch a fashion brand. Like she called me and was like, do you want to do a fashion business together? And I'm like, what even is that? And at the time, blogs and web websites, people don't call it that anymore, were becoming very popular. And I'm like, I think we could start, you know, as a blog, grow an audience, and then that would be the way that we get traffic onto and eyeballs onto a site to then sell things. So that's why it was called The Daily Edited. And we were, I was very enamored with a, a website blog that is still continues today called The Cover Tour. Hmm. So I really liked that. And I thought, you know, in, in some ways I'd like to create something in that space where, you know, there was content on fashion, food, art, culture, that kind of thing. So that's where the, and it was a, you know, a the daily edited somewhat made sense in that. And then our first clothing line was called Edited and we presented a daily look on that website, on the homepage, where because it was a capsule collection of clothing released monthly that you could mix and match and wear to work or to drinks and stuff. Mm-hmm. So a very cute concept, hence the daily edited worked as a name and that's why people often ask, where did the name come from? So talk to us about that clothing line that capsule collection that you guys would release every month because I think it's easy for us to always look back at successful businesses and think okay there was so many different successes along the way and kind of ignore the stumbles or the hurdles that you faced what were the early I guess really tricky things that you had to work through with the daily edited to make it work well we pivoted a few times before we got to where we are today so Obviously, clothing didn't really get commercial traction. So it was, te- I think for us, it was, a, it, and it continues to be testing product in the market. And with the current format of the business, it's testing new product extensions. Like, can we sell pet accessories or can we sell suitcases? Can we sell to children? That kind of thing. So I think it's a constant set of challenges and pivot, no matter how far along in the business you are. So we went kind of from clothing into sort of more stationary because I love stationary still. Like I'm in denial about the success of our desk range at The Daily Edited. And then we then pivoted into the small leather accessories that we sell today. Coming up after the break, what sacrifice looks like when you run a successful business. But first, a word from today's sponsor. that something's not working and how do you kind of remove ego from it and say all right it's not this and not only is it not this but we're not just going to give up now we're going to kind of create a new idea because we still think there's space for this brand I guess it not working is very easy you don't sell the inventory so it's still sitting there like a year later Um, so that's easy to assess because you know when it when you do a product and it does work you can't keep it in stock that's what it works (laughs) 
And then if you keep going, I guess I look at, you know, whether competitors are moving into the space, whether other businesses are clearly doing well in that space and therefore, you know, we should contest it. Sometimes I'm like, oh, it's not worth contesting. You know, let's let them have that weird niche. But I'm, I'm not, I don't like to give up like that. You know, I'm like, if someone else can sell it, why can't I sell it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, it may become more a financial decision because at the end of the day, you have to make and purchase inventory in a sustainable way. I'm not saying the product itself is sustainable, but you know, you can't have a warehouse full of things that you haven't sold. And that would then take away from the things that you do do well. So I guess it's just balancing that. Years after you launched the blog, The Daily Edited, your product started really taking off and the business started to really surge. You were still working though, both you and Tanya, as lawyers. What was life like in those days? I mean, you were probably working, what, nine to six and then going home and working on The Daily Edited probably until midnight, then waking up the next morning and doing it all again. Did you burn out at all? No, luckily, because I began because we went back back at the start of the story work is kind of normal for me it was obviously exhausting and I was super excited when Tanya was like yes let's both quit our jobs and I was like finally so I was really relieved but then the business like just grew so quickly that there was no relief if I had if we hadn't done that I don't really know how we would have made it through the first year of really the business yeah, it was not a difficult time now on reflection because it was just a lot of hard work. It's not mentally difficult. It's hard work that's paying off. You're seeing sales come through the door. Like there are worse challenges in life that people face than that. But what did those days look like and what did that work look like? So basically when I was still working as a lawyer, I'd have to get there at least by nine. You can't be at the office any later than nine. Then I'd be working as a at lunch, working as a lawyer. Then at lunchtime, maybe check some emails on the side. You know, read the daily edited on my Gmail account. At lunchtime, would go down to the post office and dispatch the orders that I had packed overnight that I'd taken to work with me. You know, go back to work, figure out when the earliest I could leave would be, which was like around seven. Go home. You know, monogram pack dispatch more orders actually in the early days it was really cute we tried we know we didn't have like the systems and stuff that we have in place that anyone has in place now remember this is like in 2014 we would put the product into express post envelopes you know the yellow tab thing that you peel off and you keep I would stick them into a book and just write like the customer's name like Zara Michelle whatever next to it take a photo and get Tanya to send out what looked like an automated email dear Zara we have dispatched your order your tracking number is and she'd type it in from the yellow tab love team TDE but it wasn't even automated at all that was all manual that was all manual back back in the day you know oh my god (laughs) what we find really interesting about your story as well is Zara and I obviously run our own business now we do shameless and shameless media full time and when we were reading some of the interviews you've done you said that you and Tanya saved hundreds of thousands of dollars before you left your jobs as lawyers and took the daily edited on full time. And that just blew our mind because we were far more, I guess, fast and loose, Sarah, than that. <laughs> Why did you, I guess, want to take a really conservative and really safe route to save so much money like that? Well, I guess because the first iterations of the business did not work, there was no way that we could quit our jobs and then like, what do you, reapply? 
like a year later, like, you know, like we didn't have the confidence that the business would actually keep going like this. So that's why. And also we had like bills to pay. I think I had bought a house. So I was like, ah, oh, mortgage repayments. <laughs> you know, I can't just quit. <laughs> I just can't, can't just quit my job. Another quote of yours that I find really interesting, I think this was another one to business chicks. And you said, a lot of people think what I do is risky or what I have done is risky, but I don't consider it like that at all because this is what I have grown up with. Do you consider yourself a risk taker or what is your relationship like with taking risks? I have a lot of optimism. So Tanya's way more risk averse. Like she loves to, if I go, yeah, new store, it's fine. Like we'll, we'll do X sales. And she's like, where, the, where are you even getting that from? You're going to build a financial model and, you know, a, a forecast P&L. And at the end of the day, it kind of says what I have said, but it gives her the reassurance that we can do it. But like, I, I would just, I'm happy to just do it because I, it, obviously COVID has changed my perception, shaken me a bit in like my level of confidence in retail and stuff. But prior to this, I was like, yeah, that'll work. That's all work in that location. I just think that's just how I'm, I'm happy to do that. I, I don't know why. I'm just happy to make a call and roll with it and, and then make the most of the situation when I'm there. What do you credit to the success of The Daily Edited? I mean, I'm sure there are so many things, but lots of people launch brands and they don't take off in the way that The Daily Edited did and has. Why do you think that is? Is it Does it come down to the quality of the product and word of mouth or is there something particular that you think was really crucial to the rise of the company? I think it's a range of things. I think, you know, right place, right time, social media marketing, like we rode the wave of growing a business on Instagram like so many other of other of our peers, you know, in the, whether they're in beauty or other consumer goods products. So, you know, platform, look and feel of product, quality of product, delivery timeframes, the personalization aspect, you know, like a range of things cause this business to be successful. I don't think it's any one thing, but it's, you know, that concoction of elements of this business. Do you still do a lot of the gritty work? I mean, I saw other quotes where you said you still like reply to DMs. I actually just had a thought as you were talking just then of when I ordered, whether it was this phone case or the one before it. And I think I got a customer service email from you or personalized by you. Do you still find yourself getting into the grittier parts of the business? And is it a priority for you to know still how every part of the business is operating? Yeah. So last night I was on customer service because I thought, uh, well, it's the last night of our kind of Black Friday sale that we had to extend so they wouldn't be a stampedes in stores or our site going down because the traffic would be too much for it I mean what what is my role if I'm not doing that I don't really understand how other business owners of a business of this size like this is not Tory Birch or Kate Spade like it's not some billion dollar business just yet like obviously it has received some commercial traction in the Australian market and so to fill the day, I actually do need to be involved in this stuff, whether it's, you know, serving customers in store, seeing store team members, online customer service, the visual output of the business through Instagram, the EDMs, the website, the curation of what is on the homepage, looking at product, pricing it, working out what the next product collections and stuff are like. That is just stuff that fills my day. And all of those things, like every, if you if you say you value every employee in the business, which I'm sure most everyone would say, right, who owns a business, you can only value them if you understand their role and how they are contributing. And to understand their role, 
like you need to either obviously I can't physically be the developer um you know and code things but you need to be in it to get Mm. it all do you like being a boss yes and no obviously it gives me great autonomy in the set in the sense that my hair is still wet and it's 11 (laughs) a.m um (laughs) And I'm like, oh, God, it's drying naturally, so it's going to be crazy today. Um, <laughs> you know, the flexibility, I can go to a spin class at 8.15, 9.15. No one's really going to be chasing me and no one really chases me. Oh, sometimes they do. Can you approve this or can you look at this? That or the other. Um, so obviously, that you know, the level of autonomy you get in running your own business is awesome. But it comes at this stage and this size of business and you know I think you need to sort of push past this phase to kind of let this go but this huge responsibility to team members and growing their careers and developing them and developing the business at a pace that captures and satisfies your most talented team members it's a lot of pressure so that that aspect I don't love but obviously it comes with it like not complaining but just saying (laughs) No, but I think that's the thing about running a business like yours, right, is that there is really, really gritty parts to it and stuff that's not that sexy. But on the other hand, there is stuff that is a bit sexier. I mean, we're a pop culture podcast. We are obviously very interested in the fact that you've worked with some of the biggest celebrities in the world, including Hayley Bieber. And that dichotomy between gritty and glittery must be really, really interesting. Talk to us about the Hayley, (laughs) then Baldwin, now Bieber collab. How did that come about? Who decided that she was a perfect fit for the brand? Uh, So when we're casting an influencer or a celebrity, it's generally driven by a budget, like, because otherwise you just go after whoever you want and be like, I want Roger Federer (laughs) to be the face of, you know, the face of TDE, but I don't have $40 million (laughs) to pay him, like Uniqlo did, or no, $400 million or something, you know. So it's a budget-driven decision not that I think that Hayley Bieber is budget not at all it's just you know so you sort of work out what you can spend on a campaign and then you look at people who might suit your aesthetic in that realm and and yeah and like as you say as it's not glamorous it's not like I'm there chatting to the influencer or Hayley or whatever having the best day of my life no it is a lot of pressure because you have budgeted to do this campaign. It needs to do well. The output that needs to come out of it is, you know, this list of images, pieces of content that you need in order to get this campaign off the ground. Who's responsible for that? That's me. Because otherwise you've got a photographer taking, getting really excited that he's taking photos of Hayley Bieber, a videographer <laughs> doing random things, like girls running around. So really those those interactions for me are quite stressful, but yet I'm trying to come off like not too bossy, not to like try to take advantage of the situation, you know, not trying to be chill about it, but like, oh my God, like, do we get all the photos that we need? You know, will we be able to deliver this campaign to actually deliver sales at the end of the day, right? There's no Mm. point in doing the marketing and hobnobbing around unless it's going to generate something for the business. So Mm. that aspect, I don't look at that side of the business, like the the function of my role as that aspect of it being glamorous at all. I guess things that like I would consider to be glamorous, not glamorous, but like very fortunate, like, wow, I'm so grateful for this, is that when I come up with an idea, I have a team to support me. You know, whether it's like even, you know, saying to Tanya, I'd love to do these products. And she's like, okay, send some concepts through, you know, through to that down to, you know, my team putting together a landing page for that the graphics that get overlaid, like the fact that I could just text people 
three words and something happens is a beautiful thing. Like I find that really cool and really glam, right? I love that you're so honest though about the pressure and the stress of running a business because it is something I don't think people talk about enough. Like we often see the glittery sides of entrepreneurialism, but we don't see the grit. One quote I love of yours is, I think Australian culture or business culture really puts a lot of pressure on people to keep showing that you're doing stuff. Everyone's like, when's your next door? When's this? When's that? It's just so much pressure. And that does feel so true. We put so much pressure on each other and public figures in particular to keep pushing and to keep achieving. Does that feel exhausting sometimes? Just want to lie down and be like, I have done enough? Sometimes. Yes. <laughs> I don't think I've done enough. Like I'm not resting on my laurels and you know, if someone else listens to this, go again, I'm not Tory Birch. So I, you know, calm down. <laughs> but sometimes Yeah, sometimes I, I say that to other people just because I have women coming up to me going, oh, you know, I wish I had a business like yours. I'm like, but literally why? Like you've got a fantastic business. You know, it might be that they have a small homewares brand. It's a bad example because I actually have a small homewares brand and it sounds like I'm talking about myself, but they might have like a small florist or a small beauty brand or a business in the beauty space, you know, like a skincare facialist or whatever. And they're like, they want to scale that. And I'm like, this is such a great business. You know, you don't, you could do more. Absolutely. Go for it. But also this is what you've got going on here is fantastic. You're open five days a week. It's fully booked. It's a great, you know, your girls love working here. I think you do okay from it. So it's great. And I think people have this pressure where they're like, oh, I think I need to have six clinics. And I'm like, no, you don't. <laughs> like, well, I mean, like, yes, great. But it, what you've got going on is also great. So I, I don't think people kind of say that to each other enough. Very true. It's not. It's a very Australian thing, I think, to be like, this needs to be bigger and better, particularly when it comes to business. Like the only option is up. Whereas it's like, what if you just maintain? Like that's a really important thing too. One thing I want to know from you is, does the daily edited success make you feel fulfilled? Is that where you find your main source of fulfillment? No, because obviously it, it's nice. It's a nice, you know, we're probably all of similar age. I'm probably older than you. Sorry. But, you know, like in the same sort of age band and our careers are going to be really long, like because we're going to live for ages and we have to work for ages as a result. And I feel like this is just the first milestone or first one of the first cool things that I've done in a very long career. You know, and I, I do count being a lawyer as one milestone, you know, building this style of business to be another and God knows what's what I'm going to do next. I'm very cognizant that I'm going to have to work for at least another 40 years or something, right? Like I, I don't go, I'm 34 and I've done it. No, not, a, not at all. No, no, no. Like seriously, no. So it doesn't give me that much peace. Yeah, I don't know what is. Maybe like having a family and children and stuff. I mean, lots of people would look at you and look at your beautiful clothes and everything you've built and be like, that's incredible. But you've also probably sacrificed a lot as well to be where you are now. What are the main sacrifices that come with building your own empire? Being a bad friend, being a bad daughter, like forgetting people's birthdays and then they remember yours and you, oh, I hate that. You know, when someone gets you a really nice gift and you're like, oh my God, I don't even know when your birthday is. Running late to stuff. You know, luckily I have very nice friends who are very forgiving. 
but that's the sacrifice. You, you become this person that, you know, I'm not that proud, proud to be, like not responding to people, not having sometimes the bandwidth to listen to someone's conversation uh, with me. That that I think is a sacrifice. It's a huge one. And I think it's obviously something that you hold very close to you as like, how do you juggle all these things? Like it's it's almost impossible to, to, to be the best boss and run the best business and be the best version of yourself at all the time. Do you ever go gently on yourself in that sense? Like, do you ever feel like you're juggling so many things that perhaps being gentle on yourself is the best thing that you possibly could do? I sometimes try to be a bit more meditative, right? Um, I can't even say the word because I can barely do it. (laughs) (laughs) It is really hard because you're like, well, the world has presented me with this opportunity. I don't really want to like I've said, in, I've used the word rest on my laurels like so many times in this podcast, I need to think of a new phrase. But, you know, this opportunity is so exciting and great and I don't really want to, I want to make the most of it and I hope that like, you know, I can make up the other aspects of my life at another point in time. But again, I think my friends and family are very understanding and they're like, don't worry about it. Don't worry that you didn't, you know, that you missed my birthday or whatever it is. So I think it's having the support of the people around you that really kind of helps you kind of deal with things like the pressure or the letdowns because it's not always this amazing ride at the Daily Entered. You know, like obviously this year has been a very difficult year for the business, Mm. not having, you know, growth because, again, you know, every year you look at your graph and you're like going up and up and up and then this year comes and what's happened? (laughs) So... Yeah, it, it, and it's just having having the right people around you helps you get through this. Every episode we do, we talk a lot about success and I love having conversations with extremely conventionally successful people like you to find out how you kind of define success because I think it's so important for the listeners as well. Talking about becoming addicted because I think I'm addicted to seeing growth, right? Like whether it's in podcast downloads or whatever it is across our business, I always want to see a graph that's going up. And if I don't see a graph that's going up, I spiral. How have you personally tried to train yourself out of that this year? Because it is stressful when you've got people depending on you and you've got pressure on your back to grow and grow and grow and people's incomes depend on you to have that steady growth. How have you trained yourself to kind of, I guess, take a step back and take a deep breath and let some of that tension go? I think it's moving the goalposts. So what is a win this year is slightly different to last year. Like a win this year will be matching last year's sales, whereas a win last year was to beat the previous year's sales by 20%. So moving the goalposts and sort of setting out documents or, you know, things to look at that relate to the new goalposts have really helped me because if I had put in we're going to do sales in 2020 that are 20 percent higher than 2019 first of all my team would just be like no (laughs) (laughs) how how do you do that so yeah I think that has really helped me kind of rationalize and sort of it'll be really interesting speaking to people I'll be interested to hear what other people have to say in your podcast and other pieces of media but like 
was 2020 really a write-off? Like, can we just go, you know, you like that graph going up, as you were saying, Michelle. Mm -hmm. And I think everyone's everyone's graphs, unless they're afterpay or something like that. Um, (laughs) Which was a steady decline and then a meteoric rise, yes. (laughs) Everyone's going to have the same thing. And so I think, you know, we just write off 2020 and move on, people. (laughs) (laughs) The dead year, I think we're calling it, or I'm calling it anyway. Our final question for you, we ask everyone this. What is success to you? How do you define success in your own life? I think success is when you're really happy with most aspects of your life. I think, I wonder if there will be a day when I'm happy with all aspects of my life. But I think to say most is, is a really great position to be in. So whether, you know, that comes down to like health, family, work, and just how you're feeling every day. Mm. Elise, I love your realism. I love how much of your realism has kind of permeated this interview. Thank you so much for giving us your time. It is an incredibly crazy year for you and incredibly busy time. So we are so appreciative of you sharing your wisdom with us. Thanks so much, guys. I had a really nice chat with you. And I'm like, I love how how much reflection I had to do on this podcast. (laughs) You were like, wait, I had to think? (laughs) Thank you, Elise. Thanks, guys. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with Elise Tran. For more from Elise, please follow her on Instagram at Elise, that's A-L-Y-C-E underscore Tran. As for us, you can find more Shameless interviews with influential people like Effie Katz and Zoe Foster Blake on our website. Just head to shamelessthepodcast.com and you can search our entire back catalogue of episodes to find one that'll tickle your fancy. That's all from us, guys. Have a great week and do not forget to wear your goddamn sunscreen. Enjoy the summer. Bye. Hello, guys. Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.